following sermon is by Andy Lake, the senior pastor of Liberty Bible Church. This program, Grow in Liberty, is the preaching ministry of Liberty Bible Church in Vienna, Ohio. Liberty Bible Church places a priority on the Word of God over all else and has a desire to share truth with believers and non-believers alike. Our prayer is that as people tune in, they would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Join us as we grow together through the Word of God. thankful for the Lord being your salvation and not your own personal works, your own personal merit, let me hear you say amen. Amen. I'm so glad it doesn't rely or rest on me and what I can do, but it rests purely and solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ. So thankful for that. Open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. When we were last together, we looked at the personal life of the believer and what a life of worship truly reveals. And we we asked a question last week, and I'm going to ask it again this week, and the question is simply, what does life of true worship look like? Now, I want you to understand that the question being repeated is on purpose, As we were looking last week, and if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and and listen to that. You can access it online. Uh, But before we understand what the public life of worship looks like, we need to get a right understanding of what the personal life of worship appears like. But the question last week, what does a uh, a life of true worship look like, was more approach from a mirror standpoint. Let's look at our own life and examine how a true life of worship would look, and are we uh, living that type of lifestyle. This week, we're going to kind of look at it from a different viewpoint, more of the viewpoint of what does my life in public look like. So look with me, if you would, Hebrews chapter 13, and we'll start reading in verse number 7. Remember them which have rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin and burned without the camp, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice 
of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifice, God is well pleased. Let's pause for just a moment and ask God's wisdom as we get into his word. Father, uh, I lack. I lack wisdom, and because of that, I must rely on you. So, Lord, I'm asking that you would grant wisdom to the speaker, but also wisdom and understanding to the hearer. That, Father, we may see you in the pages of your word, and that we would grow it to be more like you through all of it. Help us to examine ourselves this morning. See if there be anything about us that needs changed. And that, Father, we would determine now to be obedient to your word. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Now, understanding this life of worship, it's really a question. It's a question of appearance. Now, uh, Maybe you've heard it said, or maybe you've said it yourself, or uh, you know something along these lines. It doesn't matter what other people think of you, right? We say those kind of things often, and and as uh, as our kids are growing and they they are uh, in school, and someone maybe teases them, calls them a name, or makes fun of them for something, and we always kind of follow it up with something along the lines of, "Don't worry about what other people think." Now, I want to understand that this statement, while I can understand it and agree with it on one side, on another side, I don't agree with it. And so what we want to bring ourselves back to is an understanding of exactly when we don't want to worry about what other people think, and we do want to worry about what other people think. See, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what people think of you. What matters is what they think of God because of you. Now, this is something altogether different. And so I don't want us to go uh, go away from this place saying, see, pastor says that we need to worry about our appearance and how we look before people. Uh, No, I'm not saying that, but I am saying that. You see, on on the outside, how people view us, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, how we are viewed by this world is oftentimes the way people view God. The, the way I am seen in the public eye, especially if I am known as a born-again believer, if I am known as someone who follows Christ. Now remember, the name Christian is not just simply a, a title as much as a likeness. Christian literally means, when they were called Christians, it means Christ-like. And what they were saying, it was in, in the book of Acts, when they were first calling them Christians, what they were saying is these people are little Christs. They're mimicking that Christ character. They're acting just like that Jesus guy. They, they, they are little copies of Christ. And so if I'm going to bear the title Christ in Christian, then I need to understand that what I do in front of this world is supposed to be a direct reflection of Jesus Christ himself. Now, in the one sense, 
of it doesn't matter what people think of you. Look, I'm not going to change for this world. But I am going to change anything and everything about me that gets in the way of this world seeing Christ. That's a life of worship. Being willing to submit myself to altering so that others outside of these four walls get a better glimpse and view of my Savior. The one I claim to trust the one I claim to believe, the one I claim has entered into my life and empowers me to be more like him. I'm going to surrender to that work. Whether we want to admit it, whether we like it or not, many will judge the validity of what we claim to believe by our very life and actions. How we respond to others, the way we jump around to, from one thing to the next, the way we, uh, our, our um, preferential treatment, uh, our uh, preferential treatment of the world over the things of God, the things that we are willing to endure, the investments that we make, be it spiritual or physical, uh, and, and most, uh, how we present Jesus to this world says a lot to people about whether we honestly believe it or not. Now, let's understand what claim we're really making as a Christian. What claim we are truly making as someone who is born again by the Spirit of God is I have decided to quit putting myself first and follow him. This is what repentance really is. I was living my life based on what I wanted to do, what I liked, what I preferred. I'm no longer going that direction. I am turning, and I'm going to follow Christ. We talk about following him, and we want to understand what it means to follow. You know, if we were to start a game of follow the leader, I guarantee you every child in the building would get up and maybe Brother Dale would get up and start following us around the, uh, around the room. And, you know, as, as we'd be walking, you know, if we started to do the big steps, you know, the kids would all start doing the big steps. You know, here's the sad thing. 99.9% of the adults probably just sit there and go, I ain't doing that. You ain't going to have me act like that. <laughs> you can act like a ding-dong all you want, preacher, and these kids will follow you around because they're kids, but I've grown up and I don't have to do that kind of stuff. I'm my own man now. Do you realize that being a follower of Christ is a lifetime of follow the leader? And as I'm making my way through, through following, the, and sometimes it's just, yeah, I, I don't know why, but he's got his right arm up, so I'm going to put my right arm up. Now he's got his left arm up. Now he's hopping on one foot. Now he's skipping. Now what in the world is he doing? It's not for me to question when I'm the leader, I get to be the one to make the decisions. And I, I don't know if you remember playing follow the leader as a kid, but, you know, you were following, you were walking around, and you were doing what he's doing, and then the teacher goes, it's your turn to be the leader. <gasps> oh, just wait till you see what I'm going to do. And then we'd start doing it. And some kid in the back of the, you know, back of the line going, I ain't following him. Right? A lot of people claiming to be born again by the Spirit of God sitting down going, I ain't following him. 
And here's the sad thing. You know how when we're all doing one thing and there's that one person's gonna, I'm not gonna follow him. I think it's stupid and I don't wanna play this game. Everybody else notices, right? The world notices when we claim Jesus as our leader but reject following him. Half the guys in that game can't get along. They don't want to even play the game. Why in the world would I want to join? Most of us, especially in this day and culture and time, are so bent on making sure that I am my own person. I am an independent being. I am me, and I'm the captain of my own ship, and you're not going to tell me how to live, that we forget that we gave that up when we said, I claim Jesus as my Lord and Savior. If you're going to follow him, you don't get to pick and choose when. I want us to look at a few of the things in this passage in keeping with that idea. Notice, because we're going to look at some of the things this morning, and then we're going to circle back on this next week uh, to take a look at a few other uh, portions of this. But I want us to consider the end. Notice notice with me, if you would, here in verse number 7. It starts off, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Now, This next verse, verse number 8, looks like it was just thrown in there. Almost appears like it doesn't believe. It's like, you know, you're you're talking to somebody on the phone, and then they say, hang on just a second, they say something to their kid, and then they come back. It just almost looks like it doesn't belong there. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it does go there. I want us to notice what's being said here. Realize this, man makes mistakes, right? Mankind is fallible. We, we mess up. Uh, but I, I want us to understand that there's no real need to be reminded of man making mistakes, but the troublesome part is that we so often only focus on the mistakes that are made. Here we need to take pause because the illusion that's being given here, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering, notice this, the end of their conversation. This passage, this portion right here is actually more talking about those who have come before. Now, I've heard a lot of preachers say, okay, you know, remember them who have rule over you. In other words, everything I say, you need to obey. Not my lifetime, bucko. (laughs) But what it's telling us is to remember those who have gone on before, who have taught us, who have spoken us to the gospel, who have brought us to the uh, the point of understanding who Jesus is, who has invested in us spiritually. He says, remember them, considering the end of their conversation. In other words, when it was all said and done, 
We are so quick to judge leaders based on what we think their motives are. So quick. That guy was a hothead. That guy was this. That guy was that. The worst part of it is not when we judge them based on what we think their motives are, but when we judge them based on what we think their motives are because that's what our motive would have been. (laughs) This is what he probably meant. Did you ask him if that's what he meant? No, but if I'd have said it, that's what I would have meant. It's a good thing you weren't the one saying it then. (laughs) But he says, go back, and I want you to look at where the end was taking you. Leadership, sadly, is most often judged by what we perceive more than what we know. Looking back on those who have invested in us, I'm sure that we know that they made mistakes. They weren't perfect. They did some things that were wrong. But what direction were they trying to take you? That's where we need to focus. Think about it from from this angle. Most generally, this judging is due to their motivations or actions based on maybe our own past, but we need to do two things with this. First, learn to not be so quick to assume their motives. We need to learn that. Okay, Pastor, you're talking about leadership. Well, I'm going to dig more into that next week. And pray for me because I don't like talking about me. And so I'm going to talk about the deacons a lot. But here's here's what we need to understand. Generally speaking, when we talk about the leadership of our church, is it positive or is it negative? Do we go outside these walls and when we're talking to our coworkers and to our friends and to our family members, are we roasting the leadership of the church and the stupid decisions that they have made? Or are we trying to present them, eh, sometimes they make mistakes, but they're trying to lead us to Christ. We got to be careful with this. We've got to be so cautious that we don't paint Christ in a negative light because the the way we view the leadership that God has ordained for us and given to us comes into it. And how people see me and my attitude about this is really going to speak volumes to them. Second, we try to look at where they are trying to lead rather than where you are currently. It's a difficult thing. It's really difficult sometimes to try to put out there the actual vision of where we are. I was talking with Brother Jeff about this. I asked him a question this week. I said, how in the world do you convey vision? Sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's just, let's take this step together. Where are we going? Way out that direction. Let's take this step together. Why, Pastor? Well, we got that over there. Let's take this step together. Sometimes it's difficult, but at the end of the day, where are we going, Pastor? To be more like Christ. You want to come? 
Where are we going, Pastor? To pursue a closer walk with Jesus. You want to come? Why are we doing it this way? It's the only way I know how. <laughs> Let's get closer to Jesus. So try to look at where they're leading rather than where you currently are. I want you to notice the second thing with this because the two verses, verse 7 and verse 8, do go together. Notice this, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus remains constant. Constant. Jesus does not change based on a different day and a different time. Can I just let you know, if anybody ever tells you, well, this group had the truth, and then they lost it and muddied it, and then this group had the truth, they lost it and muddied it, and then this group had to come along, and well, that was for a different day, that type of teaching was for then, this is a new day, and we needed to have new people with new revelation, stop, Jesus doesn't change. And so Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. If someone comes to you and says, well, the reason that portion of it is in the Bible is because that day and time, they had a different idea. And, but, but today, things, we have evolved, you know, we're different people now. And so, not stop, Jesus is the same. Leadership changes. Style changes. The society changes. But Jesus Christ always remains the same. And so the truth that is found in his word, if it says X, Y, and Z back in, back in the year 100 AD, then guess what it says today? It still says X, Y, and Z because Jesus never changes. His word never changes. His delivery never changes. So how verse 7 and verse 8 come together, you remember those people, how they were trying to steer you to the one who never changes. They are gone. And somebody else is in position now. But Jesus never changes. He was leading you to Jesus. This one's leading you to Jesus. And by God's grace, the next one will lead you to Jesus, the one that never changes. You see, this, this is not in here for any other reason other than to remind us that while things do change, look at the direction that they were leading to the one who never does. I want you to notice something else that's given to us here. Look at verse uh, look at verse 9. Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of that today. But it's not just today. It's been around since the beginning of time. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them uh, that have been occupied therein. You know, several years ago, you're not supposed to eat any carbs. You're only supposed to eat meat. Fast forward a few years, you're not supposed to eat any meat. You're only supposed to eat carbs. Few years after that, don't touch dairy products. Few years after that, milk. You know, everybody needs to be drinking. Got milk, got milk. These diets and fads come and go. And I'm telling you right now, you know, we want to know one of the reasons why people's health is just like this. It's because the diet fads are like this. They're jumping from one thing to the next thing. Let's only eat fruit. Let's only eat vegetables. Let's only eat fruit and vegetables. Let's only eat meat. I like the meat diet. I'll be honest with you. 
hand me a pound of bacon, hold the salad. I like salad, all right, but I add salad to my bacon. Some of y'all do it wrong. It's like I get a bowl of salad and I sprinkle some bacon on it. <laughs> what? And then you got you to play hunt the bacon, right? And you get a bite and it's like there's no bacon on that bite. You feel let down. Do it the other way around. Chop up the bacon, throw a big vat of bacon in a bowl, and then sprinkle the lettuce. No disappointment in that. No one's disappointed when they bite bacon. Bite lettuce, you'll be let down. That's it. Why do you think they came out with salad dressing? It needed something. It needed ranch, Italian, Thousand Island. Mix them all. Just hold the lettuce. Take your bacon, dip it in the dressing. All good. Now that's a salad. I, that's a that's a diet I can get my sink my teeth into. And all the men of the church and some of the women said, "There you go." That really had nothing to do with the message, but. But what we need to realize is that so many people get fixated on the small things. They get fixated on the ritualistic. They get fixated on what we're supposed to do. They get fixated on the areas that we're supposed to be. And we can't go, we can't worship unless we're in a specific area. We can't worship and we're doing the wrong thing if we're eating the wrong thing, if we're eating the wrong type of thing on the wrong day, if we're eating, just stop, stop, stop. Notice what it says. Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with food, and not with places. Notice what he continues to go into. Verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Realize what is being said with this. It's talking about the blood being brought into the temple. The sin offering was to be taken out. The sin offering was to be burned outside. It was not to be on the inside. Jesus was our sin offering. He was our Passover lamb. He was burned outside. He was crucified outside. The blood was then taken into the holy of holies of the heavenlies, and it's no longer necessary. I want you to think about what is actually being said here. So many people are fixated on the place or the practice that they miss grace. We look at, well, I have to be at this place. I can't worship unless I'm in this kind of setting. I can't worship unless I have these kind of seats. I can't worship unless I have, stop. It's about him and his grace. Let your hearts be established with grace. The sin offering was taken outside of the camp and burned. Jesus, our sin offering, understand this. It also talks about the altar. 
as we, verse 10, we have an altar where they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. In other words, those who are still trying to make sacrifice, daily sacrifices, it's no longer needed. Jesus died once. Done. Anybody tells you that they have to make that same sacrifice day after day after day, week after week after week, year after year after year, they have just made the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus nothing. He died once. He was at one time, in one moment, simultaneously the high priest, the altar, and the sacrifice. Ain't no priest in history ever been able to do that. You can be the high priest, but you can't be the altar. You can be the altar, but you can't be the sacrifice. You can be the sacrifice, but you can't be the high priest. (laughs) Jesus was all three at once. We, because of this, are invited. I want you to see this next part. Look at verse 13. He says, let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. The old covenant was all about come to this one location, the temple. Everything had to be done there. The new covenant is all about going. If that's the case, going outside these four walls is where worship truly begins. So many only feel that worship takes place between the hours of 10 and noon, 30, on Sunday morning, as long as we're in this location. And if, if, if the snow's too hard to where I can't make it to church, I can't worship. Wrong. Worship should start at 12.30 on Sunday and go until 12.29 the next day, the next Sunday. This is how it should work. My worship does not only take place Sunday morning. When I'm at work, guess what? I worship him. When I show up to the office and that secretary that just loves to dig at you and dig at you and dig at you, she wants to point out every flaw in your outfit, what time you you punched in, what time you were supposed to punch in, and make sure that you don't you know lean on the water cooler too hard. That woman that just gets under your skin, or that foreman, you know the foreman that just you're hammering the nail the wrong way. You hammer your way, I hammer my way, and you just. All those people that go through you. I was telling Troy a while ago, man, it took everything in me yesterday to not just act in the flesh. Oh, I was on the phone for something like 8,722 hours with call center, and it, oh, 
trying to tell me how to do something that I knew how to do and I had to tell them how to do it. Why are you the one collecting the the paycheck? Right? Worship kicks in when instead of jumping down their throat through the phone line, you just calmly, patiently. (laughs) Let me hit the mute button for a second. Help me. What I was saying... I think there were people praying for me. If I came to your mind yesterday afternoon and you were just real heavy, Pastor Andy needs prayer. Thank you. I was starting to grow hair until yesterday. When I was finished and I was getting ready to get off the phone, the guy thanked me. He said, I just wanted you to know, I I know this has been a difficult conversation, and I appreciate you being so professional. He said, it wasn't me, buddy. <laughs> it's Jesus in me. That's worship. It's worship. The old covenant called for people to come. The new covenant urges us to go. But notice how it says we are to go. It says, let us go, therefore, unto him. Unto who? The altar. (laughs) Understand this. No more sin offering is necessary. The sin offering is no longer needed. We had that once. It's done. But we can offer offerings of thanksgiving through our life. This is let us go forth there let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach for we have no continuing city but we seek one to come. In other words, we don't have to go to Jerusalem to worship. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to make thanksgiving. We don't have to go to Jerusalem no. We have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, that's Jesus, therefore let us offer the sacrifices of praise once a week. Did I mess something up? Let us offer sacrifices of praise Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Still not right, okay? Let's try this. Let us offer sacrifices of praise. Huh? There we go. Then why do we only wait till Sunday morning? Our public life of worship is important. Let us go, therefore, without the camp, outside these walls, bearing his reproach. It's one thing to stand in a church, raise a holy hand and say, I have decided to follow Jesus. But then when we're at work and all of our friends of a different persuasion are around us, 
All of our friends who maybe disagree with our stance on abortion are around us. All of our friends who disagree with our position on what the Word of God has to say, they're around us. While everybody's doing their thing and everybody's having a good old time of it, we're not so quick anymore to say, I have decided to follow Jesus. A lot of people are faster to say, well, I vote that way because I'm this kind of a politician or whatever. But when somebody says, why don't you agree with this? It's, 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 uh, it's because I'm a Christian. It's because um, <clears throat> the Bible says, um, because what? When I'm standing here, Everybody around me is praising Jesus, and everybody around me is saying, yeah, the Word of God is true. But then when I enter into the public square and somebody challenges the Word of God, am I just as quick to say, no, I believe every word in there is truth? You mean even the part where a guy was swallowed by a whale? Well, yeah, I believe that part too. Well, how can you disagree with millions and billions of years? You're telling me that the earth is only six to 10,000 years old? The Bible says that, so I believe it. So are you really going to say to the person who has believed Buddhism for their entire life that without Jesus, they're going to go to hell? Uh, The Bible tells them that. So yes, I won't walk up to them and go, you're going to hell. I might do it with love because loving is being truthful. Yeah, I believe it from the beginning to the end, whether it's got red letters or black letters or they painted it blue. I believe every word in there. It's one thing to say that when you're around fellow believers. It's another thing to say that when you're only surrounded by people who are going to look at you and go, you are so old-fashioned. You can't be serious. You actually agree with that? Mm -hmm. That's bearing his reproach. Talks about taking words, this testimony, these praises out into the public. But it also talks about works. Notice what it says, verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. You know what that word communicate? It's koinonia is the Greek word. It means to contribute to the needs of. Communication, (laughs) you got to contribute if you're going to communicate. You can't sit there like a bump on a log, not say anything and claim that you're communicating. You've got to contribute. That's the idea behind it. Fellowship is another word for it. In other words, I contribute to the needs of what's going on. So how do we apply this personally? Let's look at a few things on this. Three points and we'll be done. First, I want to ask you, And I want you to ask yourself, 
How's your worship life? I'm not talking about do you show up on Sunday morning and sing loudly. I'm not talking about is K-Love on your car radio. I'm asking you, are you willing to worship publicly? Some of us are quicker to put a, a donkey or a elephant on the back of our car than we are to actually stand for what's right. We'll decorate our car with pictures of our favorite politician before we just learn to live like Christ. As people view your interaction with the people of God, what do they think of Jesus? Now, they may not show up here and watch you treat other Christians, but what they hear you say at work, what they, what they hear you say on Facebook, the posts that we make, they pay attention. Like it or lump it. What do they think of Christ based on how you treat fellow believers? And then third, as people view your life in the public square, what do they say about Jesus? Don't worry about what people think of you. But you should be concerned with what people think of Jesus because of you. Some people present Jesus as a pushover. Oh, anything's fine. You go ahead and do what you want to do as long as you are you. You be you. It's okay. Don't worry about what the Bible says. Jesus loves you just like you are, and you can stay that way, and he'll still love you. That's not my God. My God loves you before you know him. Invites you to change. But the question, as far as our worship is concerned, really kind of comes back to this. You want to know the life of worship? Are you willing to be ostracized by anyone and everyone because of your association with him. Well, I'm fine to associate with Jesus, but that, that's not the Bible, preacher. Oh, yes, it is. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Fast forward a little bit through chapter 1, and it says, And the Word became flesh. Got a problem with this, you got a problem with him. Are you willing to be ostracized by the people that you love? Are you willing to be ostracized at work? Are you willing to lose some of those Facebook followers? 
Are you willing to see your Instagram feed go haywire? Not for your stance on Republican or Democrat, but because of your stance on this word, this book, his truth, Jesus Christ. We talked about it last week, and I, I believe it bears repeating. We have had it so comfortable in the States. We have. The closest thing to persecution most of us have ever endured is a boss maybe telling us we shouldn't say Merry Christmas. Instead, say Happy Holidays. Oh, dear heavens me, I am undone. I believe persecution's on its way. If you think I'm crazy, try standing in a local college saying you believe this book. Try it. Try standing in a local marketplace and say you stand on what the Bible says, not what some politician thinks, not what some Supreme Court justice has decreed. This book oversees and oversteps it all. See how fast you get knocked down. But are you willing to go through that? That's worship. I'm okay with people not liking me. What bothers me is not when they reject me. It's when they reject him. When they reject His love, His mercy, His grace. That's what bothers me. How's your worship? Father, You and You alone deserved, deserve worship. You and You alone are worthy of it. And so, Father, forgive us. Forgive us for putting other things ahead of you. Forgive us for the times that we have worried about what people think of us more than worrying about what they think of you because of us. Father, help us to see true worship in the pages of your word. Help us, Father, to see true worship in our life. And help us to draw close to you as a result of it. Father, use this time, this invitation time, to draw men and women unto yourself. Use this time to wake us up, Father, so that we would quit thinking about the things of ourself and the way we want to be viewed or the way we want to enjoy life and help us, Father, to be willing to step outside these four walls and bear your reproach. Because, Father, you're the only one worthy of that. 
You're the only one that deserves that kind of attention. Father, we pray these things in your son's name because we're praying them for his sake. Amen. You have been listening to Andy Lake, Bible teacher with Grow in Liberty and pastor of Liberty Bible Church. We pray that you were challenged today and encourage you to share this message with your friends and family. If you were motivated in some way to grow in your walk with Christ, please drop us a line and reference the title of today's message. You can access us online at growinliberty.org. Email us at together at growinliberty.org or send us a letter to Liberty Bible Church, 2111 Sodom Hutchings Road, Vienna, Ohio, 44473. If you would like to support Grow in Liberty financially, you may also do that at growinliberty.org. Thank you so much for joining us today.